the Three Sons Podcast. Six three songs. Times the two Three songs. Three songs. Twenty times the six point five. It's three songs. Bobby Mike, it's Bobby Mike. No Bobby choice. Bobby Mike, it's Bobby Mike. Bobby Mike, it's Bobby Mike. Bobby Mike, it's Bobby Mike. Got three songs. That's right, Three Songs Podcast, episode 130, September 22, 2020. Bob Nastanovich, Mike Hogan. I hear the crickets already in Des Moines, Bob. We have the crickets in Des Moines. We got the crickets. Yeah. We got the crickets. The crickets, they got live. I mean, you hardly ever see them, but, but they are fantastic. Yeah. We also, I, my barn owl is still here. Yeah. And I saw a picture of him a neighbor took. Ooh. So, unfortunately, he usually starts his heavy singing between 1 and 4 in the morning. And we could do, like, a crazy late-night show. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if... The, then the Bard Owl would let us down. <laughs> right. When it's like we... he knows. It's like he knows that he or she... He knows... The owl knows when to perform. And right. he usually does it, like, when he least expects it. That's how cool he is. <laughs> right. It's like... Yeah, if you, it's if like you, a jazz, he's like a jazz owl. If you count on him or her, you're not gonna. You're no, not it gonna could be two, it could be three. Who knows? I don't yeah. know what's going on out there. We we have really cool large owls floating around the neighborhood amongst the crickets mm-hmm. and the praying mantises. Ghost almost attacked a praying mantis the other day. Wow. Yeah, and he did eat a large beetle of some kind about ten days ago as well. So he's getting his protein. <laughs> quick little pause. Yeah. So how's Ragsy? Uh, Ragsy's good. She, um, for those of you that don't know, Ragsy is Mike's dog. Who's, um, we've talked about on the show. She's not as, hasn't made as many appearances as the more, more boisterous ghost. That's true. She's 13. She's a Pomeranian. She, um, she's a dope pom- Pomeranian. She went to the groomer a couple weeks ago, came back with a really, really tight haircut and kennel cough. But, that's what you get when you go to the salon these days. That's right. Man. But she's, um, She's doing better. Kennel cough is, uh, you know, of course, antibiotics took care of that. So she's doing good. You know, she's she's 13. She's got heart disease, but she's hanging in there. So God bless her. The show is for Ragsy. That's this one's for Rags. Yeah, um, for the Rags. All right. Well, I will start it. Well, before I play anything, I will I will just mention kind of a throwback to our last show where we focused on basically a bunch of artists that we figure everybody already knows that we all you know both really like and are it's very a bit endless yeah so um what we're going to do is in this show and maybe going forward um regularly we will feature an artist like that that will, one that we figure is like kind of obvious or kind of a given that anybody listening to this show is probably already familiar with but we're going to either go deep into their catalog or we're just going to talk about our kind of experience with them as an artist and as a as a band and well you know in your case mike you've made a prelim list of about 10 bands and um of those 10 will be really sort of intrigued for me to go through it because there's a lot of really famous artists that i've never listened to other than the hits so that's fair so and maybe um, that's uh 
you know. Excuse my ignorance, my general ignorance yeah. when it comes to the legends of the game. That's okay. Um, That's okay. Um, so I'll, I'll be learning. Um, you'll be the instructor in some cases. <laughs> well, you know, I figure this is just a chance for two friends to talk about music that is maybe at least important to one of the two of us, if not both of us. So, uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, along the way, maybe other people are finding the same sort of experience. So... Uh, with that, we'll go back to kind of the regular format. We'll end with one of the more obvious choices, but we're gonna we're gonna start. I'll start with um, an artist that I don't really know a whole lot about. She's, um, I think, from you said she's Scottish. Um, she, she's Scottish of Nigerian descent. Scottish she's of Nigerian descent. Her name is Nicolette. Glasgow. Nicolette uh, Suwatun is her her given name. She goes by Nicolette. She um, is probably best known, she sang on a couple Massive Attack singles, um, but I really only know her first LP, which came out in 1992, and this is actually the lead track off of it. It's just a really cool, sultry little song that's um, uh, got a good message too, so it's called No Government Nicolette from the Now Is Early LP. Nicolette, short little number, only about two minutes long. Yeah, that, that popped up. I was actually expecting like um, more action there in terms of length. Uh, it, <laughs> she could have. It's one of those. She definitely could have gone on there. She could have ridden that beat for a lot longer, right? Is it? Is it that, that album? The album that's off is an album called "Now Is Early." So yeah, um, which is so. When you read those words, "Now Is Early," like what? What what what's your first thought? Uh, this says now is early. 
<laughs> this is beside Nicolette and her brilliant. And this is, again, I'm going to say one thing. Okay. One of the main descriptions of her is that it sounds like Billie Holiday on acid, which is shows like the, it's just an incredibly lame piece of music journalist, journalism. <laughs> yeah, because Right? Um, I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you, that, lazy, uh, that sounds like lazy on, journalism. Like, it's like, hold on, if we give like Billie Holiday acid, she's going to sound like that? I don't. No, no, I don't think so. No. no, I mean, with all due respect to Nicolette, that's you know, that's just um, cheap. Um, but the other thing about that is that that song in particular, in a more lengthy version, which I know I've heard before, was like an uh, from about ten years ago was a remix um, by some. She I think spent most of her life in London. Yeah, or she's still she's still humming along. She's sure. only a couple years older than me, but. Um, it's interesting to me that like these remix guys, and in this particular case, no diss to them, DJ Toka Disco, Makosa, and Mega Blast, they take her piece of work and they put out which becomes like a club like mega hit. Right. So, I mean, what a great gig that is! So like, you can take some brilliant piece of work by some artist that was generally known but not a huge hit, and then by remixing it and making it a massive hit, and then you're the star. I'm sure she got paid, but mm-hmm. like at the same time, like that whole remix game has always sort of confused me because yeah. um, very. It's it, it just you know what I'm saying. Yeah, celebrity DJ. Yeah, I don't. I I, I kind of don't get it, but it's not I my. Mean, it'd world. be a fun. It'd be a fun gig. Like I feel like um, I really feel like. You know, like Lucy's got a great little studio in LA. I really feel like um, if we could get those kind of gigs, we're like, okay, we'll take your song, we're going to do a whack remix of it, and da da da. I mean, there's got to be a, some talent there in being able to take a piece of music like that simple, really pretty two minute song that you just played and making it like a mega club hit. So right. right. Yeah, just, the the thing I like about that song in particular, and I don't know anything about the dance scene or like the acid house scene or whatever the genre that you would call that. To me, that just sounds like kind of a sultry R&B song with this like really sweet little groove, but really, uh, you know, incendiary lyrics about basically about taking down the state. And and this dream utopia where people 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 could have what they want and there'd be no government. So I'm afraid it is a dream utopia. But, it is. Uh, at the same time, like um, I do know, I never really participated in those. I wasn't a 24 hour party person, um, doing crazy, speedy power drugs of many varieties and like dancing for 24 hours type person. But I think that would be a classic example of a song that they would play. Even if it was a party in a house in the chill out room. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. like yeah. people like just like taking a break from the dance floor and like sitting on couches and like chilling out yeah. on their, I think ecstasy would probably be the main drug of the era. But it it seems like it should be three or four times as long as it actually is, and maybe that remix that you mentioned because I think she did release a new version of that single in like two thousand seven or something like that, like fifteen years after. Yeah, yeah, but it's I think it's done it's done by these guys. Okay, interesting. Yeah, 
Mr. Tokadisco. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just want like I just like I wish that you were like wish you were gonna tell me right now, hey Bob, like I am Mega Blast. And like I've made this living like remixing songs like that my whole life. I, and like I, nobody So I'm just gonna openly admit right. to the world right now that I, I am Mega Blast, Mike Hogan. Yes, that's right. That's me. So and you are you are is that like I'm telling the world that I, right now? Yeah, you're Mega Blast? I'm I'm Banksy as well. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I, you shouldn't tell, you know, just, well, it's a well, quick reveal. Anyways, let's... We, we let's, don't have enough listeners to really break that news, so... Yeah. Let's go to um, Addis Ababa. Okay. Because, like, we like to, um, since I'm in Iowa, and, like, over the last several days, you've been essentially in house arrest because of the smoke in your hood, and, like, thankfully, yeah. that's... That's at least cleared. ...stopped, yeah. and you can, you can actually walk around a little bit. Right. Um, so we're going to go to Ethiopia, where... I'm quite confident um, I can say that neither of us have ever been. No. And um, um, I've been driving back and forth now for a handful of months, um, just charting the races at Prairie Meadows in Altoona, Iowa, which is a 20-minute commute. So it's like a 45-minute round trip in the car. And I've been digging on some early 70s Ethiopian jazz. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, yeah. I'll play... On a show coming up, I'll play um, Mahmoud Ahmed. Um, if you've never listened to him, I think you really dig it. It's actually, it's, it, we'll, we'll talk about that when we play him. But I'm going to go to the, I think, the the most well-known, if there is such a thing when it comes to Ethiopian jazz, the king, um, is uh, uh, Getachu Mercuria. At least of the saxophone. Um, because I argue, sax- arguably, Mulatu Ekstakti, however you say his last name, yeah. arguably he is equally king-like as far as Ethiopian yeah, and jazz we'll, goes. We could play. We should play him we'll on a future talk show. About, yeah, we should actually do like an, like let's cancel our plans tonight show, show and do all Ethiopian jazz. <laughs> uh, but no, but we'll we'll kick it off. We'll kick off like one thirty-one. Um, That'll be episode one. The new. Yeah, the new genre that we're celebrating is Ethiopian jazz of the late 60s and early 70s. And this would be a guy that was... Uh, we'll talk about it afterwards. Yeah. This is um, Getachu Mercuria. And uh, this song is called Yejene uh, Musica, which I, as far as I can tell, Y-E-G-E-N-E-T means coffee bean washing because um, Ethiopia is one of those countries that's celebrated for their coffee beans mm. um so this is um music for coffee bean washers <laughs> um by by the great Katachu. <laughs> Thank you. 
Makuria. That's right, from the wonderful Ethiopique series. Um, yeah, there's an, it's an amazing series. I, I think that one would be like in the teens. Number 14, in fact. Uh, yeah. Who's responsible for that? I don't know off the, off the top of my head. It's uh, a label. A label called Buddha Musique. Yeah, thank you, Buddha Musique. But I want to I mention um, a couple of things about this gentleman who lived to the age of 81 and complications from diabetes um, uh, did him in. Uh, he was born in Ifat in uh, Ethiopia and um, he was a master of as a 12 and 13 year old. So just a complete prodigy of traditional Ethiopian restaurant of restaurants instruments. <laughs> um, the Masenko and the, the Krar. The Krar I know is like kind of a lute like and I I think the Masenko is like a one or two string, like guitar type thing. It's a stringed instrument, you know. And um, 
and then he he went to Addis Ababa and and played the clarinet and then the saxophone. And um, what amazing thing about him! He's such a proud Ethiopian. He would often perform in the seventies like an Ethiopian warrior in an animal skin tunic and a lion's mane headdress, wow. <laughs> which um, must have been quite a sight to see. Seriously. Um, this unbelievable, um, just cause his approach to the saxophone is like no other. Right. I mean, right. Um, and, uh, I just, I've been grooving on it. <laughs> it, it talk about music that it's great road trip music, but music on your commute that takes you to other places, For which, sure. um, Absolutely. keep your mind on the road, but like, it's nice to leave central Iowa while you're driving along. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, and you, you know, I mean, aside from Ethiopiques, which is a fantastic series that has released a, a lot of wonderful Ethiopian music. Um, I'm familiar with his work due to my interest in the X, who's a band that I've mentioned. I think I played them on episode one or two. Uh, and I play them a number of uh, times. One of your all-time favorite bands, great band. We both love the band, but I think definitely like you're the biggest fan of the, the X that I know. I would consider the X one of the greatest uh, rock and roll bands in the world, and they're still going. And they are not just a rock and roll band or a punk band or whatever you want to call them. They've also ventured off and done jazz and improv and they did a number of tours and albums with Getachu Mercuria um, including uh, I want to play something from one of their um, records that they did they did um, big tours and they not, didn't do just with him and their group but they brought friends along so I want to play something and, from- uh, you know, as far as I know he discovered them as opposed to vice versa like he was a fan of theirs like so they must have crossed pa- cross pass at festivals probably and i mean the x are one of those bands that they don't play your regular venues they're sort of the um i guess you could call them the uh, dutch version of fugazi and they were around you know no, that's a, that's really cruel to, to the x but well, um, i i just mean anyway, it from so, the standpoint of of playing five dollar oh, no, shows no, no diss to fugazi <laughs> playing five dollar shows and playing venues that aren't typical music venues and doing tours that are unlike really any other band that you can think of they're not no, like, i think they're just with all due respect to fugazi they're just incomparable and the way that they've managed their career. Um, yes. Yes, they are They are a much more of a collective. Who knows if they've even made any money. I think they've probably given it all away. Yeah. I mean, they have to live. But, right. Yeah. You know. They're almost like a non-profit organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like artist collective that has functioned as a band for 40-some-odd years. 40 plus and anyways, years. back to the task at hand. So... So I want to play something. This gentleman, they, they they hooked up and they like, hooked they, up. They've done, and actually, um, I think that he would not be as well known in the Western world if it wasn't for this connection. So I think it's sort of a vital part. Um, of course, of yeah. his, his musical experience. So. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's just also great to hear how those two sounds 
meld together. And you can hear, I mean, if you're a fan of the X, you can hear, and you don't necessarily know this song, you can hear their guitar and drum style and how well it meshes with his saxophone. So I want to play something from their 2012 album called Yen Bessa Tazeta. Pronouncing that probably terribly. Um, you know, it doesn't matter because who's going to edit your pronunciation? Who is going to edit my pronunciation? And and then the song is, it's a long We one. can't afford like even... an Ethiopian or multilingual translator on the program, so we just try our best. That's right. Uh, the song, and I'll butcher this, it's Almaz Men Eda Nu Chebu Almelam. <laughs> you nailed it dude. let's let let's let the music speak for you itself. nailed that dismount i did i did here yeah. you go get at you in the x Thank you. 
Kitachi was in his seventies at that point. Oh yeah, I mean, still going strong. And who knows who all the players were? There's probably 15 people on stage. I love the way the um, Ken Vandermark know, was the, one of the saxophone the, players. I, I think the punk rock guitar, the way it came in at the perfect time, was like yes. It yes. would have been nice to see that. Yes. Would have been nice to see that. That's one. part of why I picked that one because you can hear, you know, the the X, the distinctive X drumming starts it leads it in before you even hear his saxophone and then you don't hear that guitar that andy uh andy moore is his name um in uh and terry andy and terry the two guitars from the x you don't really hear the guitar much until towards the last minute or two it appears and it comes and it just feels so at least for me who's such a fan of the band it feels so welcome so yeah just love that well, if you were Seated at the start of that, shame on you if you're still sitting at the end. Yeah, well, thank you, thank you for bringing Katachu because it allowed me to, to bring that song and, uh, uh, you know. Open up your The X envelope. <laughs> always love a chance yeah. to talk about The X. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. All right, well, I'm going to play something now from... Uh, when do we say the X? It's T H E first word, second word, E X. For right. those who don't know, because they are still like an insanely unknown band, perhaps by design. You know, I don't yeah. they really care about that. I think right. they have their followers. Sure. They're I mean, they're devotees. Many um, many of their records of, are self released. <clears throat> um and you don't can spend a whole year catching up. Right, um, and they don't. They don't often make it to their their records. Are, are often sometimes hard to find in the U.S. However, I should. I'll give. I'll take a second to give a plug. Um, their first two LPs uh, from 1980 and 1982, disturbing, D- disturbing domestic peace in history is what's happening, are both going to be reissued next month on the the Superior Viaduct label. Who has re- reissued a lot of really good records lately. So, oh, cool! We'll put a, we'll put that link on your um on the on the Twitter and stuff. Yeah. Check it out. Good band. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Tip I'm, of the cap to Superior Vi- Viaduct. Superior Viaduct. Yeah, they they've yeah. reissued a lot of lot of uh, like they re- reissued Hex Induction Hour and they reissued uh, Curtis Mayfield Live. So that'll tell you how diverse they are. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Uh, yeah. More than we do. That's true. Um, far more, far more. And um, buy the records, keep them going. I am going to play something. I'm going to go back to the early to mid-90s. This is a band I know you know uh, from Dallas, Texas, of all places. You think of Austin when you think of Texas indie rock. 
you don't think of Dallas nearly as much, but this band Bedhead discovered by the great King Coffee, the drummer for Butthole Surfers. That's right. And first, in musical curator mode that's in right. the 90s. Released the um, King on his Trans Syndicate label. Yeah, great label. Um they put out a couple 7 inches on I think on their own label called Direct Hit. Um and then their first LP, which is what I'm going to play a song from, came out in 94 on Trans Syndicate. And to me, at the time this record came out, it, it, we'll play it and then we can talk about it, maybe. But it just, I really loved this record. I so, thought they were like kind of next big thing. And then they were like, you know, indie rock. and like Me too. Um, I thought they were, I thought they were, I love the band name. Yeah. And like, I just... They had. They had. I, the, I bought all their stuff, and I was like, "How come people aren't more into Bedhead?" So, right. We'll and talk, we'll play it. Play it. We'll I'll, talk about. I'll it. play it, and then we'll talk about it. And part of why I want to play it is, I was. Which I had, one are you playing again? I'm going to play Haywire from what What Fun Life Was, which is their first LP from '94. Um, the thing for me is, I hadn't listened to this album in so long, and I remember loving it, and I put it on just to see if it stood up. And it really does. It's. I think it still holds up. Um, so I'll pass play the Mike Hogan test of time you, test. You tell. You tell me. This is Haywire. It was hard for me to even pick that's one song from it. Um, but I think this one does a good job of showing what they're all about. So here you go, Bedhead. <laughs>
bedhead. Dude, so, dude, I love that, but it does sound so early '90s to me. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, sure, it's of its but, time. And, like, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying like I'm 53 years old, and like that's fair. That's a nostalgia fest for me. That's fair. as a 24 year old. Like, that's the way bands wanted to sound, and for sure. For sure. And so, like, I even think that way about things that I participated in that sound so early 90s that, so you talked about the test of time. I'm not sure, like, I mean, just the way the mix, I mean, the clarity, the lack of it is... um, it's interesting. Well, let me let me let me talk about one some of the things I love about that that song. Well, I mean, it's great because it's so early '90s. Well, right, but it's it's to me, it felt like a very song oriented I mean, continuation of what Slint was doing with this soft. But like, sounded also sounded like what Archers of Loaf was doing, and mm. like Paul though in a certain way was mm. doing, and. Yeah. And the hundreds of great bands, Paul you know, Truman's Water to an extent. I mean, I, I don't know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. In you know, I mean, you know, Pavement. Like, I mean, lots. There's well, hundreds of bands that sounded like that. No, nah, so here's the dip. The, the the quiet, loud dynamic. Well, um, I love that. Right, like that was not something necessarily that Pavement was doing or Archers of Loaf. Even like Polvo to some extent, but like that the 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 spoken vocals kind of reminded me of Slint, but like a very more much more melodic. Slint in what way? Like song like base. Tweez era Slint. Like there's only, there's only really two eras right, of Slint. Right. Really, there's like, just like Tweez and Spiderland. I guess so like Spiderland is like so clear. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not talking about the production. I'm talking about the approach to. The the and maybe that's not the best representation of that. There are some other songs where they're well. Get your shit straight, Mike. For <laughs> God's sake, so if you're going to defend Bedhead, I just mean, <laughs> you know, the singer kind of doesn't really sing. He sort of just speaks his words in this Lou Reed or you know, I guess Slint esque uh, way. And the, but the song, what, what carries it, the melody is the is the the guitar and the the song. Oh, I'm not downplaying the brilliance of Bedhead. The Bedhead was 91 to 98. They were a great 90s band. That's and, fair. And they're a 90s band I mean, that I, I feel like hasn't been were rediscovered. On the pulse. Like really, in my case, um, I was so enthusiastic about music from their early 80s until the late 90s and they were a band that sort of one of a lot of great bands sure and um but i feel like they're kind of forgotten maybe i'm wrong oh no they're definitely forgotten they're definitely forgotten and they they don't deserve to be forgotten they were a great band of the 90s like several that we mentioned just in the last couple of minutes that's right and we can go on and on. I think we probably played out of the, what are we talking, this episode, we played probably 200 bands um, that have been forgotten. I mean, I think that's sort of what we do on this podcast to a certain extent. Um, you know what I'm saying? I, I know what you're saying. Um, but you're, but no, really are you saying we played, are you saying we played 200 bands on this episode that have been forgotten? 
Is that what I No, 200 say? bands throughout the history of the podcast. Oh, oh, oh okay. Okay. That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say more I, than did that. Did I misspeak? You, you, or I, maybe I misheard, but I, I would say we've no, played. I'm sure I misspoke. I would say we've played more than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah no i think that's you know uh if if uh, we're gonna consider bedhead a forgotten band um we played more than 200 uh easily but um and, and here's a band that is may or may not have been forgotten or just completely unknown it's the um the work of a uh it's a, one of those bands um like east river pipe that's actually one guy mm. it's a guy named marklin starkey Who's young, and um, this was made when he. This is the first thing he ever did. It's made in two thousand four, and um, it's called Trumpet Calls. Um, he's from Warwickshire in England, but he's a London kid. And when I say kid, I'm old. Um, <laughs> but Sleeping States um, on Mishra Records, a Pittsburgh label. But this is before he was on Mishra, and my my friend um, Paige Connor, who is a friend of mine in high school. Um, started the label with the Bracey brothers in Pittsburgh and like their roster is amazing. It's like, I, I looked at it the other day, it's like 40 bands and like, there's like three I even, I'd even heard of. So, and sleeping States is one of them. And, um, this is off the, I think the first thing he did in 2004 is an EP. I think it was only available on CD. It's called distances are great. And the song is called, um, trumpet calls. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Markland Starkey. Uh, yeah. Of Sleeping States. Uh, uh, yeah, you're, you're a ghost <laughs> growling in the background. Yeah. Ghost, yeah. <laughs> Did Ghost not like he, that, or is, does he have a ball? No, no, no. He's, he's, he wants me to toss his ball, and oh. I can't find it. Oh. This is what happens. Like, <laughs> I'm the parent who gets yelled at, Mike. I know the yeah. feeling, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You've got you've got real children and a dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was I'm cool, the, though. We're the parents who get yelled at. That's right. Ghosters keep on growling. You can growl through this segment. Ghosts, you're a good lad. You're part of the show. Uh, Sleeping states. I like them. Do you like that? I like, I like that. that. It reminds me a little of. Um, you said that was in the 2000s. I would think that's more like 80s lo-fi in some ways. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of. Do you know Cause the Shroom? No. Oh man. Sp- spell that for me. Cause the Shroom. Yeah. C O Z the T H E Shroom. Like mushroom, but shroom. Like mushroom. No, yeah. I've never heard of them. Uh, Are they on Mishra Records too? No. Cause the Shroom. Oh man. I maybe I need to play. I, should I completely pivot and play a Cause the Shroom song, or should? I mean, sure. Shit. What you know. Okay. Oh, um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm double profanity-ing. Why, why not? Let's do it. Okay. Captain this is, Curveball. Ca- Captain Curveball. Mike Hogan. Captain Curveball. So cause, what did I say your name? What, you're, you're the famous DJ. What was your DJ name? Oh, I don't even Master remember. Master Blast? Or, uh, yeah, something like you that. You already forgot what happened. I already, I already no, forgot. The, 50 yet. I already forgot the... Um, the DJ well, you're not even 50, that I and you've already myself. forgotten like something. You're already forgot your famous DJ name, <laughs> right. and you also called yourself. You also admitted that you're Banksy, That's even right. though you. Hey, you know, Banksy was in New York at the same time I was in New York, so you can't prove I wasn't Banksy, right? So I certainly cannot, my friend. <laughs> okay, so cause the shroom, cause the shroom. If I had met you, I wouldn't really actually know that you existed. That's true. Yeah. Maybe I don't exist. Um, so, so cause the shroom. Was, Some days you wish you didn't. Was a guy, <laughs> especially during this podcast. Yes, totally. I'm not even sure. I don't know a whole lot about him, but he was. Are you going to play a guy after my Sleeping State song? Marklin Starkey. Yep. Great kid. Hopefully, yep. he's recording tonight. And yep. you're going to play like. Somebody you've referred to as a legend, but you don't know anything about him. Well, a legend in the sense of, like, from an underground DIY uh, weirdo artist along the same lines as, like, Jandek or oh, well, hey. or or even Daniel Johnston because they were contemporaries. Oh, Listen, they were contemporaries. This guy, this guy was making heavyweights. I mean, you're talking some serious heavyweights th- there. This dude was making music in the mid '80s. The like, late Tandek and the late Daniel Johnson, like two kings of depressing music. Yeah, um, I mean, two of the great. I mean, like, like I think I mentioned to you before, like you know. Uh, well, no, I probably haven't. So I'll save that story for a different day. Like you know, <laughs> some people, it's like, what kind of music do you listen to, and like. Listen to what they listen to. It's like you know what you listen to is actually depressing music. You know? That's right. That's but I right. mean, you have um, you have mentioned that. Um, but no, the, so <laughs> cause the shroom was just this weirdo making his own records in the mid '80s in in Austin, and um, so, well, you're in Texas. I'm, I'm, stick, in I'm Texas. sticking in Texas. There, there's there's a not really a whole lot that's available. But there was a label called Rural Isolation Project that just this year reissued a compilation of um, a bunch of his recordings. And I bought it. Um, 
I don't know if it's still copy still available. Limited edition of 200. The total lo-fi, early 80s, mid-80s, early 90s stuff. You record collector, you. Yes. Uh, so it, it's... I'll play it. Here you go. Should I start hand-numbering Brokers Tip Records? You should. You should. Um, start hand-numbering. Okay. So this, that, is, that. this is from that compilation called Bum Henry Adams and Craig Stewart's Prince. I don't know what the title it means, but this, this is English. You should be able to pronounce that. This is this. That's true. This is a song called "Decorator Tornado." Uh, Cause the shroom. I like that. So there you have it, Bob. Cause, With all due respect to the dude in ca- Cause the Shroom. Cause the Shroom. Um, it sounds like he collects his dust and spiders and shoeboxes. <laughs> and um, I could have easily been his drummer. I think he... 
maybe, maybe some drummers were. tried out for that gig and and um they might have been scared <laughs> off um, yeah right right it's got a real um early silver shoes vibe to it to me <laughs> you think i mean i don't know if like you know geniuses like jan deck and daniel johnson for god's sakes well one of the all-time greatest should be mentioned in the same breath yeah. I, I just i say it more from the standpoint of i think he was a contemporary of, of aesthetic of aesthetic recording aesthetic aesthetic rec- recording aesthetic but also um proximity i mean he was in austin um around the same time and who's a david daniel johnson worshiper uh, entirely possible entirely possible entirely po- well fair enough um but yeah anyways we're gonna we're, gonna we're gonna do a um, we're gonna celebrate um a legend a legends tonight um by mm-hmm. playing um dinosaur and dinosaur jr mm-hmm. um bands that a band that made us feel cool and probably <laughs> we most were, of the listeners already at least know of if not are fans of yeah i mean um and i certainly was and am um i remember being a teenager and thinking this particular album their first album they were just dinosaur and then they had to change their name to dinosaur jr because of some band that like tried to sue them da, da, da. right so it became dinosaur jr patrick murphy joseph j mascus slew barlow homestead records 1985 the squirrel bait era mm-hmm. um one of the greatest 100 albums of all time. Um, this is uh, Severed Lips off of the first Dinosaur record.
severed lips i mean that's just jay isn't it it pretty I much mean, you know i mean Ch- kind of sums him up because like um as because he was about 20 i think when that came out so right. it was recorded when he was a teenager and like i haven't spent much time around him um he's a man of few words he's one of those people i've always thought like um is i've always He's always been a rock star to me. Yeah. Okay. And guitar so, hero. For, he's just for sure. Uh, one of those just like um, strikes me as a personality like nobody, somebody that never anticipated being a rock star, but then just ended up being one because of his talent. Yes. His um, particularly his incredibly laconic way of playing. The electric guitar. Um, we just assumed that he was this like massive stoner. Yeah, and and I don't even know if he's ever really smoked pot, but like it was, it was just like such. They were stoner anthems. They were, um, yeah, sort of the indie the, rock uh, Neil Young and Crazy Horse, right? Right, like and it's punk rock. I would say so, but like he. At the same time, like his lyrics are, particularly in that song, are of supreme. And a lot of them are um, on "You're Living All Over Me" and "Bug," the two SST records, mm-hmm. second, the and first two, which yeah. yeah, second, and there, and it was all about underconfidence. Yeah, right. Well, which you know, you mentioned Lou Barlow, who was the basis for the band uh, in those in that era. You know, I mean, that was basically Sebado's whole, 
you know, underconfidence was like their whole ethos, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you've got like, I had the pleasure last summer, uh, Lou came here and he played on the, um, on the back deck and, um, was that last summer? I think it was maybe two years ago. And, might yeah. Have, might've been 2018. And, um, and Murph was the uh, TM, so Lou was playing solo, and I never really hung out with Murph. What a great guy! Murph is the drummer, right? From yeah, the yeah. What a great guy! Just huh. a great guy, and a and a great drummer. And it was a real pleasure getting to know him. That's cool because I I've known Lou in the in the past, <clears throat> and I, you know I really like Lou, and I've had some you know good times with him. But I'd never really known Murph. Murph was always this, um, just you know, the drummer for Dinosaur. But like I got that, he was just a great guy. Yeah. And so it was, um, it was, we had a really fun time with him. And uh, but uh, Jay was, um, I remember even like driving from Charlottesville up to see them play at Maxwell's in Hoboken, and um, seeing Jay being interviewed buy some indie rock fanzine on the street or something and like we've been like me and david like we even followed him for a few blocks and just because like we couldn't you know i think it's the first time i'd ever seen him in person i was like 18 or 19 i was like you know we just you know he was just this amazing character to us and um and all of our friends um during that era of the in the 80s in charlottesville so um, just a kind of a rock god and, uh, you know, one of those legends of the game still going and that kind of thing. And absolutely. And I think he lives in Germany. I believe I know he married a German woman. I don't know where he lives, but he's nice job with the dual citizenship, mate. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, dinosaur, they're a band that I got into probably, a little later than you, I would imagine. Certainly wasn't as knowledgeable about... I think I, I first heard maybe the song that I'm going to play. Um, well, like buying that record, like, you know, within a few months of it coming out, um, during the same period as the Squirrel Bait record, also on Homestead, mm-hmm. um, that was... Th- those were huge days for somebody who was... You know, eighteen years old. Absolutely. You know, and I'm yeah. I'm a few years younger than you, so you're thirteen or fourteen. So I, you probably didn't I, start getting into them till you're seventeen or eighteen. Right. I was a little late to the party. I think the first thing I heard was maybe their cover of "Just Like Heaven," um, the Cure song. Well, Freak Scene would have been Freak Scene would have been the A side of the seven inch. Um. Sure. It certainly was. Yeah. The. The SST seven inch was freak scene and and just like heaven. Well, no, but then there was a separate version that was the just like heaven seven inch. No, your freak. That scene, was actually an, that was actually an MTV video. So it was it was you, you, freak scene the B. Oh no, no, that freak was, scene had the that was a cover of a crazy. What was the, what was the um? It was um, it was a famous like seventies song like. Uh, oh no, you're thinking of um, the song. Uh, I know it. You the the Peter Frampton one. Um, yeah, yeah, show me the way. yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah, that's the seven or something. So my my mistake. Show me the way. No, but um, I yeah, show that, me the way. Show me the way. 
Yeah, it was a great cover. Show me the way. It was a great, great cover. Um, <laughs> but no, their version of their version of uh, "Just Like Heaven" was probably the first I'd heard of them. And then I heard their Sub Pop Seven Inch, which is the song I'm going to play. I'm going to play the album version, which came out probably a year later. Um, they're on their debut for uh, Sire Records. Their their major label debut. Oh, yeah, they went to major label mode. They after did. Lou left. They did. They yeah. Uh, Jay kicked Lou out. Um, Lou focused on Sebado full time. Uh, wrote the Freed Pig about. I think. I think. Yeah, the Freed Pig, and I think that Murph actually he was in the Lemonheads. Yeah, and and yeah. and Green Mind in a lot of ways was a oh, not really a solo Jay record because Murph played on it too. But I think I think Jay played the bass as well and played a lot of. And Jay played the drums on a lot of dinosaur J- stuff. Jay played played the drums on a lot of it too. Don Fleming was involved in this record, but uh, but yeah, here's here's the wagon uh, from 1991's Green Mind, and on this tour supporting the album i saw them at the warfield in san francisco uh 91 summer of 91 maybe uh and and a little band called nirvana opened for them oh did they how'd they do um i think they did all right i think they went on to do okay no, but I'm saying like how they do that. I don't give a shit like about the rest of their career. <laughs> um, no, they were they were good. I mean, I mainly remember my my. I saw Nirvana twice, both as an opening act, um, both at the Warfield. Um, once, yeah, I saw them get blown off the stage a couple of times. Once was for um, opening for huh? Dinosaur, which is a tough act to follow, and then the other time was opening for Sonic Youth. And the the main thing I remember was. Wow, their bassist is really tall. Well, then I remember seeing Jesus Lizard Blub off the stage at Maxwell's. And oh. might have been one of the last times I saw them. And um, I thought, my God, never get Jesus Lizard to play before you. That's like, you know, <laughs> like the Dirty Three. It's like walking on hot coals. Like, yes. you know, yes. You don't, yes. you don't want to take the stage after David Yao. Right. Yeah. So anyway, let's let's play the wagon. I mean, this is I think this is a song. This is a good and representation of how Jay was a really good songwriter as well. And, and I think oh yeah, a lot of times that is still is forgotten. Still is. Right. He still is. I think that that's forgotten because he's people focus so much on his guitar playing. But uh, here you go. Boy. Well, I think Sever, Sever Lips has great lyrics.
I mean, it kind of makes sense why they didn't uh, become huge, or at least as big as Nirvana. Their, f- their first song on a major label debut was like a little too long. It was like five minutes. And I want to well, say, first of all, who cares about being huge? But like, did you think that um, that kind of mid-period Dinosaur and late-period Husker Du had like sort of a similar thing going on? For sure. But I think. But I mean, like, what was that about? I mean, I, like, did they? I wonder if, like, I, I don't think there was, like, and both bands had done a lot of great things. Maybe the jump from SST to a major label, but I would say that Green Mind holds up and is... What the, what, but what the hell was the major label thing? Like, uh, well, you know... Well, there's much more pressure, Like, where there's, like, the, right? like, like, I never dealt with that. I never dealt with the major label thing. So, like, was there... Because was I always feared this thing. Like, was there, like, going to be people lurking around, like, saying, like... No, Probably. sound more like this or sound more like that, and like, yeah. right? We like this, com- we don't like com- that. Yeah, yeah, but you know, but like, um, then why bother? That's the that's the thing that always confused me about yeah. music. I mean, it's hard because it's the opportunity to get your music to a larger audience and potentially also to provide some financial stability. Uh, but at the same time, you may give up a little bit of loss of creative control. And how much loss, uh, it's hard to say, right? You know? Because I've been like, you know, I'll only speak from being a member of Pavement and not being too aware of the business aspects of all of it all the way through, but like, no, you don't, like, we never lost any creative control. We never had anybody, you know, dictating or saying, you know. Right. I mean, I'll say that about Matador. I mean, right. They, they didn't mess with us. Yeah. I mean, I don't sure. think they mess with any of their artists. No. And no. Of, course, of course, like Drag City did not in a million right. years, but right. like, um, it's weird. Like, I wonder why. I just can't. I still can't figure out like. Why so many great bands like made that leap from things like Sub Pop or SST or Matador, things that were working with people that you sort of knew and trusted that would be so psyched that you you were gonna that you know, that had worldwide distribution, had you know, whether it be Blast First or yeah. labels around the world. I mean like Pavement never suffered in any way, shape, or form from having people being able to buy our records. Well, I, I mean, I think distribution was a part of it, and I think things also changed quite a bit from the mid to late. Well, Matador 80s. had to deal with capital and stuff like that to handle right. the distribution, but they still handled the artists, right? Right, and I think I think that was that was part of what changed it. Was I think a lot of bands like Husker Du? I mean, obviously. What the hell do I know? So I'm speaking for them. But I think from what I've heard, a lot of it was frustration about distribution issues and especially playing shows and you know fans coming up and saying, we can't find your records anywhere. This is obviously before the internet. This is before... Really, well, yeah, you know, no, I was in bands before the internet. Uh, yes, yeah, before the internet. I'm, I'm, I'm talking less to you and more to everybody else that's listening to talk about like 
what think it about, was like, like at the time, records, right? You know, and like you know, Super Chunk. Did Super Chunk make major label records? No, I think they just you know they they made their own record they, label. Well, the 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 uh, yeah, they made their own re- record label. And then they went to Matador, and then they went back to their own label. Um, but be like big indies, big indies, right? But I think it would never mess with what you were doing, right? No, that's true. That's true. Um, anyway, let's go back to that song for a second. So first, I want to apologize well, for, the, the for wagon's great. cutting you off because I didn't realize you were still talking about severed lips, and I started the song. I don't so care. Sorry I don't about care. that. No, I know it's, it's all gibberish. But I care. I care. I'm sorry. Thanks, mate. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. And then also, um, I just let that song go into the red because it seemed appropriate. And if you ever saw Dinosaur Live, they would go into the red. Yeah, a lot of people said they got hurt by Dinosaur being too loud. They were uh, a loud band. They were a loud band. I saw them a couple times. Yeah, yeah I saw them a whole bunch, and I think I was probably completely deafened by the time I'd seen them, but that's all yeah. beside the point. I mean, people know, talk so. about My Bloody Valentine being live. Dinosaur, I think, was at least as live, at least from my experience. But Well, the two loudest things, you know, a lot of it comes down to circumstance and, like, the venue in which you see bands, but, like, the two loudest things that I ever saw were Buttle Surfers on the Locust Abortion Technician Tour mm-hmm. when I was in like 1986 and San Arcade Husker Du I saw Swans and people were like man it's going to be really loud and they were loud Swans were loud <laughs> um, I've seen a lot of really loud things um, and you know obviously I think you've got way better hearing than I do. And then uh, there's also like, you know, the damage that comes to playing a thousand shows, you know, that kind of thing. But I'm just happy that I can hear anything really, to be honest with you. It's nice hearing you tonight. Nice hearing you. Um, should we, should we end it? Let's, let's just, let's just yeah, do an outro freak scene. We'll do an, do an outro. outro. Should we do freak, freak scene, scene or keep the glove? Which one? No, do freak scene. Outro freak, freak scene. Okay. This this yeah. this would have been. This you know, show is a freak scene. Episode one hundred and thirty. It is a yeah. freak scene. You know, uh, just a classic dinosaur song. To, the lead track on. We Bug, celebrate the freak. Nineteen eighty-eight. Um, you know, this is this showcase. Well, obviously, like you know, we live in a country that is a complete freak scene for sure. <laughs> I mean, showcases yeah. everything that was great about this era of dinosaur. Jay's singing, playing. Uh, the, the tightness of the band and just how great a song this is. Um, yeah. So here you go. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, everyone. Freak scene. Thank you. Seen enough to eye you, but I've seen too much to try you. It's always weirdness why you dig it much too much to fry you. The weirdness flows between her And anyone can tell to see her Freak scenes can't believe us Or can it just be cool and free us?
back up, will you? Cause when I need a friend, it's still you let it end well no rest in peace pat small one rest in peace ruth bader ginsburg that's right and rest in peace dave cussworth <laughs>